0: Your biggest cheerleader is your past self. That was so cool. Like nobody's cheering for you more than your your past self. And I think back to myself as a college athlete, like I was below average. And so now to the progress that I've been able to make over those 15 years, it's really cool and it, and it even that motivates me to just keep going and see how much faster I can get. If you're an avid
1: runner and looking for help to understand the science, simplify the complicated and remove hurdles so that your next run is not only fun and fulfilling, but also fuels you with passion and purpose, then you're in the right place. RunnerClick presents the Passionate Runner with your host, me, Whitney Hines. And today we get to talk to Michelle Baxter, also known as The Runner's Plate on Instagram. And I wanted to chat with Michelle because I became kind of fascinated by her mental toughness. Michelle's a mom of two who lives and trains in Alaska. And so most of her runs are done in the cold and dark and the snow and the silence. She does them alone without listening to music or podcasts. Um, she recently broke three hours in the marathon at CIM after many years of trying. So I know she has a very inspirational story to tell about not giving up and I wanted to hear it and give her a platform to share it. A little bit more about Michelle Baxter. She started her running journey when she was 10 years old, training for the mile and PE class, and now, almost 30 years later, she's still setting PRs, coaching others in their running goals, and she finally achieved her eight-year-long dream of running a sub-three marathon at the California International Marathon in December of 2021. She lives and trains in Anchorage, Alaska with her two sons, Colin, age seven, and Bjorn, age two, and has been married to her husband, Craig, for 13 years. She never expected to be faster after having kids, but with a lot of hard work and consistent training, she holds a half marathon PR of 124 and a 258 marathon PR. Michelle was quiet and shy as a kid. So to have so many people following her running journey on Instagram is truly mind blowing to her. So she says, come and say hi as she loves connecting with others that way. Michelle and I chat about how she stays motivated to train in the cold and dark, the training and nutrition hacks that helped her get that sub 3, and what it felt like to get it after 8 years of dreaming about it and so much more. We're going to get to our interview with Michelle after this short message from our sponsor, RunnerClick.
0: If you are an avid runner and looking for help to understand the science, simplify the complicated and remove hurdles, so that your next run is not only fun and fulfilling, but also fuels you with passion and purpose, then you are in the right place. Runner Quick presents The Passionate Runner with your host, Whitney Hines.
1: Hey, Michelle.
0: How are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. So you just finished your run? I did. I just finished a run. It's kind of chilly here in Alaska today. It's like mid-30s. But I'm just so glad that the snow is gone and I have dry pavement to run on now because usually for about at least five, close to six months, I'm running on snow and ice and it's not, not my preference. So I'm just glad to have dry pavement more than anything. It's not your preference? No. So do you wear yak
1: tracks or what do you use to run? Or you make your own, like you put screws in your shoes,
0: right? I have two different shoes that I use. I have used yak tracks. I don't love them, especially the coils kind underfoot really does not feel it, it doesn't grip on well ice for sure. And I don't love how it feels underfoot. I have tweaked my knee on a longer run wearing them. So I don't love them. I will put screws in my shoes. So I have you can get the sheet metal screws in the hardware store. Um, otherwise, the running store that I work at special orders some screws that are sharper and more durable but I put 10 of those screws into each shoe and that they work really well in the pack snow. And then for the when we have really icy days, um then I use a pair of shoes that's a brand called ice bug and they have screws or, or studs already in the shoe. And those, there's just like little pro like little spikes that grip really well on the ice.
1: Underfoot, how does it feel? Because I'm like the cushion of a shoe is so important for runners and preventing injury. So does it feel really hard when you're running? And do you find
0: that you're more predisposed to getting hurt when you have to run in the spikes a lot? with the studs and the screws that I put into my shoes that's nice cuz then you can wear any pair of shoes you can just take any pair of road shoes so if you're used to a pair of shoes you can put those into the shoes that work best for your foot and then they'll just sink into the snow so you don't even feel them and yeah there'll be times I go on onto um, to dry pavement you can feel it for sure but it's not super uncomfortable the other thing is that all the roads in Anchorage here are covered in snow and ice so it's not like I go from no snow to pavement, like half and half, like closer in the spring. Right, yeah, 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 in the dead of winter, everything's covered in snow, so they just sink into the snow. And then the ice bug shoes with the built-in studs, same kind of thing. They're not uncomfortable on the ice, but if I go to dry pavement, then they can be. I can feel them, but it's not too harsh. No,
1: maybe this is a dumb question, but do they? Is it because there's just so much snow all the time that the roads are always covered or do they just give up and not plow? (laughs) And your roads are just feet and feet of snow.
0: (laughs) We just have a lot of snow. I mean, it's snowing every few days here and, you know, they do have, I mean, we obviously have a lot of plows and trucks to haul it all away, but it's just so much. It's just, I think it's just hard to keep up with. Typically, it takes three days. I always plan on three days before my neighborhood gets cleared out. So, and then by that time, I mean, so those. Another days, snow comes. <laughs> yeah, that. And then when it snows, you know, it'll snow four, six, eight inches. The cars drive down, pack it all down. It's just really hard to get down to the pavement again. And then we don't use salt to melt any of the snow or ice, we use sand protraction, but no salt to melt it. That's the other piece.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. I live in Tennessee and like if there's a chance of a flurry, they start throwing salt down everywhere.
0: Yeah. My guess is they just don't have access to salt up here. Like it's not nowhere to get it or just be too costly to ship it up. So
1: what brought you to Alaska and how long have you lived there?
0: My husband's from here. So that's how we ended up. Classic story. We were only going to stay a year. And now almost 15 years later, I'm still here. Oh, wow. <laughs> so did you guys meet in college? And we met at a summer camp in Minnesota. We were both working at the summer camp. And then it came up after he graduated from college. And yeah, like I said, we were going to just stay a year. But then the economy got so bad. That was in like 2008. Uh-huh. And we just didn't, it was better up here. And so there's a better chance of us getting jobs up here than elsewhere. So we just stayed.
1: So was it a bit of a culture shock or like a just lifestyle shock moving up north, that far
0: north? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in some ways I felt like I was in a foreign country. I mean, I, clearly I was not, but in some yes. ways, yes. And it was just so hard because I had just gotten married, moved away from all my friends and family. Like I'd spent 25 years in Minnesota or very close to all my friends and family. Yeah. So being in a new place, new job, newly married, it was definitely very, very hard. I will not lie.
1: <laughs> but I'm imagining that you like it now if you've been there for 15 years, you're raising <laughs> your family there and, or you would rather live someplace where there's more sunshine.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a lot of sunshine here in the summer. Because I mean, over the course of the year, we obviously have the same amount of sunshine elsewhere. We just have a lot more in the summer than in the winter. Right. So yeah, it's just winter's really long, really dark, and summer is not hot. So that's, those are some of the things I miss. And just, it's expensive to live here. I mean, it's crazy. A lot more expensive, groceries, housing, all that tax, property taxes. So
1: how short is the shortest day, I guess, in the winter? Five and a half and a
0: half hours wow
1: and then the longest day in the summer is
0: 19 and a half
1: does that mess with your sleep in your kids sleep
0: <laughs> and yeah exactly <laughs> it's hard in the summer it's just like hard to get everyone to wind down and you like keep working because it's still light out and then it's like 10 11 o'clock and it's like oh gosh I need to go to bed because I need to be up and in- six, seven hours to go. Well, for me, to should go for a run. So <laughs> yeah. And then kids for sure. You know, we have like double blackout shades, curtains in their rooms, but then the rest of the house, we have like vaulted ceilings here that it's hard to darken the whole entire house. So yeah, it can be challenging mm-hmm. for sure. For a lot of people, they feel like they have, they hibernate, they get more sleepy in the wintertime, more depressed. That's yeah, for sure.
1: I feel that even just winter here in the South, like when it starts getting dark out, you just kind of are unmotivated to do anything. You're like, is it time for bed yet? Yeah. Can we get the kids to bed and just veg out and
0: yeah. not do anything? Yeah. People say I do like manic depressive. So depressive during the, the winter and then manic during the summer, just because you try to cram everything in, in those three months. Mm-hmm. whether it's hiking, fishing, camping, you know, all of, all of those things start to cram men in a short, very short period of time.
1: So when does it start kind of feeling like spring slash summer? End of May. Not until June? End of May? Yeah. Okay.
0: You're getting close. Yeah. <laughs> we got some, <laughs> yeah, about three feet of snow in my front yard yet here.
1: <laughs> well, so you grew up in Minnesota. So it's still that, because Minnesota is cold.
0: Yeah, it is. And uh, the benefit is winter is a little bit shorter in Minnesota, a little bit brighter, and then summers are hot.
1: Yeah. I lived in Chicago growing up and that's like the summers were so hot. I felt like we only had two seasons where it was just really, really frigid cold and then barely any transition. And then it was just blazing hot. All right. So I want to know how you started running. I'd love to know a little bit about your running journey.
0: I started running when I was about 10 years old. Um, I got it in my head that I wanted to train for the mile in PE class. How oh, fun. So, I don't I think I remember doing it and doing fairly well one year and then I was like, well, what if I could do even a little bit better in the next year? I have, I have no idea what my times were, but I yeah, got in my head that I wanted to do some training for that. And so my dad, like, set me up with a little bit of a plan. He had me, like, run down. I lived in the country. I grew up in the country, so I'd run down to the stop sign at the end of the road and then run back and then take a day off. And then the next day, I'd run down, like, to the next little stop sign and, and then run back. So it was a very, very gradual progression. And from there, I started Then I joined track and junior high, ran through high school, through college. And... Uh, just kept going after college because I really kind of kind of I think college is when I realized how much I enjoyed it um it was my social time of the day and I realized how much I actually liked the activity of running because I didn't have a great I did not have a good college career so it was not success driven it was just the fact that I simply I like to run and then after college I would do races here and there but it wasn't probably until I started training for my first full marathon that I really got into running more races and being more competitive and really trying to better myself.
1: So where did you go to college? So you ran for a team in college.
0: I ran for a small D3 school in Northern Minnesota, private school. Yeah, it was, I liked, I mean, none of us had scholarships. We were all friends. There was, I mean, competition, but it was just, you know, so friendly competition and there was a wide range of abilities on our team. Like everybody could be on the team. So, you know, there was definitely fast people and then there was not as fast people. So, but it was just like my time to interact with others and those are my friends. And so hanging out for an hour while we went for a run mm-hmm. during practice. Of the day. And so I want to get to
1: your goals in a minute. So you fell in love, it sounds like, in part with the running community, and just the social aspect of it. And now you do most of your training alone. Is that right?
0: Most, yeah. I try to meet up with people. It can be tricky with schedules and I was going to say paces, but honestly, like I'm willing, more than willing to run a slower pace or faster pace, you know, just to have someone to run with. Not always faster, but definitely slower. Schedules are tricky, but if I have the opportunity, I definitely will meet up with others but yeah most of it's kind of done on my own just for logistic reasons.
1: I was a solo runner for the longest time until recently and I still really love running by myself, but I I when I did start training with other people, I realized like what a boost you get to run fast with other people and have them push you in workouts and stuff like that. So do you get to do that? I know I've seen on your Instagram that you do some workouts like on an indoor track, but a lot of them are done on your treadmill.
0: During the winter, a lot are done on my treadmill just because I can't. Yeah, the roads are covered in snow and ice. I was back to their indoor track. Now this winter, the last two winters with COVID, it was either, the dome was either closed or they re, were requiring masks. So then I opted for my treadmill. Then, But then this last winter, I did go to our indoor track to run on. There's a group that trains, and I have run with them here and there when it, their workouts have fit what I've been training for. Um, they were doing a lot of tempo work this winter and I wanted more interval, shorter interval work. I wanted to work on my speed. So some of the logistics like that, but occasionally I'll hop into their workouts fits what I'm training.
1: So what helps you stay mentally strong when you're running by yourself trying to do hard workouts?
0: Remembering my goals, like remembering what my big goals are. Even like simple things like envisioning that finish line like at the end of a race or pushing myself to try to meet certain times you know be, meet my time goal time for that workout so yeah it's, it's definitely hard I think I've just gotten so used to it and I've always been pretty intrinsically motivated so I think that helps and just in just in other things other aspects in life in general so I think I I have that maybe more than others. But remembering my big goals that I have for myself is, is a big part of it.
1: And do you have a running coach? Or are you your own running coach? Because you are a running coach.
0: <laughs>
1: How many times can I say the word running coach in a minute?
0: <laughs> I Right now, I am self-coached, but oh, the, cool. eight, you know, the eight years on and off in between pregnancies and postpartum periods, I was working with a coach who helped me get my sub three last December. So that was, and that definitely boosted me to the next level. H- I have worked with a coach currently not working with the coach. So. So are
1: you training for a marathon right now? Yes. I mean, art isn't ever,
0: <laughs> you know, most, once you, <laughs> I don't, I'm leaning towards CIM, but I'm not sure. I mean, I've, thought about Twin Cities this fall. I don't typically do a spring or spring marathon. Hard to train for a spring marathon here, especially something like Boston, which is kind of on the early side. Mm -hmm. It's It's hard to train all winter on the snow and ice and then basically in a couple of days go from running on snow and ice to pavement. And then even things like the hills at Boston to try to train appropriately for that it's hard during the winter here. So, you know, cause I can do flat stuff on my treadmill all day, but to, I mean, you can have, you can do some incline decline on the treadmill, but. Yeah. I was wondering why you didn't run. I was
1: curious because I know your sister, Christy Bauman, who we've had on the show before, uh, she's a registered dietitian ran it. And so I was, I was wondering if you had thought about running it with her.
0: I had thought about it. The other thing was, I so I ran a run in August and then December, and I just didn't want to commit myself for another one so soon because I knew those were fairly close, and I just wanted to give my body like proper time to recover after those two and not commit to another one so like go from one three marathon cycles right in a row. Yeah, um, and then yeah, logistically. Like we can only go on so many trips. So I was like, Hawaii is Boston?
1: <laughs> oh my gosh, your trip to Hawaii looked just totally magical. Oh my yeah.
0: goodness.
1: I was like, if anybody deserves a trip to Hawaii, it is you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so yeah, little things, like, like several things like that made I uh, decided not to do Boston. The other thing is that my husband's always been, so I ran in 2013 with the when the bombs went off and my husband was very close to one of the bombs and he's had is like, he might be okay going now, but it's taken him a while to even consider going back. Like he would in the past, he'd be like, no, no, I'm not going back just too traumatic. Oh my goodness. So all those, kind of all those factors played a part. And then if I run a spring marathon, it takes me out of for a lot of our summer races up here. It's just, it's close. It's like, There's not a lot of time to recover, I've done a marathon like in June and then I'm not able to do a lot of the races either before or after that or not well. So typically I love training all summer into the fall, running a late fall, early winter marathon because like I said, then I have, I can train all summer, which is the best time to train here and sets me up for a good fall, early winter marathon.
1: Well, I'm so glad you guys are okay. That's just totally, I mean, no other word, but terrifying. I'm so, so glad. I I can totally understand why he would be obviously hesitant to, to go back, especially to Boston.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was not a pleasant day. i
1: it went off what was it? Like around I can't even remember, around the four hour mark.
0: Sounds right. So what happened? Christy and I we waited too long to start walking to the start where the start line is. We didn't realize the distance. I'm used to like here at Anchorage hopping into the corral five minutes three five minutes before the gun goes off. And we didn't realize the distance, even though they were announcing it. We were in line to go to the bathroom yeah. at the time. And you
1: were stuck in the porta potty line. We were,
0: we were <laughs> like, okay, we want to go to the bathroom one last time. So, and then we were like, oh, we could just jog to the start. No. So we ended up missing the start of our wave. We were supposed to be in wave two. And we and Oh we my here.
1: goodness. You lived like every anxiety dream I have. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so we had to start with wave three, which is why we were closer in what? Closer to them going
1: off. Oh my gosh. That's horrifying. I didn't know that about Christy. And so, was this her first time running it since then? Yeah. Or has she? Okay. Wow. Yeah. I did not know that. So, it sounds like you know yourself really well. I'm always fascinated by people who are able to coach themselves because I stink at it. I don't know my limits very well. (laughs) So, how are you able to know, like, I mean, it's just such a push and pull. Like, when to push yourself, when to pull back. I mean, I really admire that quality. So, tell me how you do it.
0: <laughs> I think I've just, yeah, I've just been running for so long, and uh, I mean, I'll map out my week. I mean, I just, I guess, I just stick to like the rules that you should, you know, no more than a ten percent increase from one week to the next, and I map out my runs for the week, and then I typically every two to three weeks. So I'll take a cutback week. A lot of times it's a one week of seven days of running. And then the next week I'll have a week, a day off. And so just naturally my mileage will be a little bit less. And I I guess, I guess I just write what I would write for an athlete of mine. So how I would write plans for them is how I, how I write for myself.
1: That's what, um, when I was talking to Lindsay Hine earlier, that's what I, I told her. Like the way that I coach myself is completely different than how I coach my athletes. And I'm always trying to catch myself and be like, Whitney, what would you tell your athlete in this position? Cause
0: uh, yeah. 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 So maybe that's the difference is that I just treat my plan. Like I would any of my athletes. I mean, of course I get stubborn with myself and you know, like today I was. I had written on my schedule, I was going to run eight miles. Well, I was w- kept waiting I to go for I was kind of cutting it close with the timing of the start of this. And then I had to go to the bathroom. And so that automatically put me like <laughs> five minutes later leaving the door. And so then I was like, I don't have time to run eight, mi- eight miles anymore. So I had to run seven. So Then I feel kinda like I didn't fulfill the plan, even though I'm just gonna
1: Yeah, does that drive you crazy? Like will you then fall into the trap of trying to make up that mile tomorrow or something?
0: I'm gonna make it up on Sunday. (laughs)
1: Yeah. All right. Well, you're in good company because I like it's so hard like to just let that go and just try to take it day by day and not let those little things get to you. All right. So let's talk about your sub three dream. When was it born?
0: I was, um, winter, fall 2013. And I was visiting my coach who we had connected via our blogs online. And then I found out she lives not very far from where my parents are in Minnesota. So I went to go visit her, so this was the first time meeting her in person. So she had followed my progress on my blog. When we were talking, she's like, I really think you could run a sub-three-hour marathon. At the time, I had just run a 317 marathon, and so to cut over 17 minutes off, I can't... I think it's it was like 40 seconds per mile pace, you know, like 40 seconds per mile faster, which... That's a lot of time. <laughs> but she had seen my progress on my blog and probably saw th- things in areas where I could improve. And also, probably knew I hadn't spent a ton of time marathoning. So, knew I still had like years left of progressing and getting better. And so, she said that to me. And I was just like taken aback because. Nobody had really believed in me like that. Like none of my coaches in high school or college, like, mm-hmm. this is what I think you could be. And this is what I think you could do. Um, not that that they, they weren't great, but no one had le- really believed in me like that. So I really took it to heart. And so we started working together. I ended up getting pregnant. So there was like a year and a half in there that I wasn't able to, you know, train for sub three, of course. But still, the, the idea was there, and that goal was there. And so once I got back into a postpartum, we started working together again. And I progressed pretty quickly, about 18 months postpartum. I had not the chance to run a sub-three, and it was really fit. But then the weather on race day was like upper 70s, and seventy. it was like 75 degrees, 75% humidity, just way too warm. They changed the flags on the course to black. So extreme conditions for marathoning, and it was just,
1: oh, that's heartbreaking.
0: It was it was hard. I had also changed up in hindsight. I changed up my supplements, and I stopped taking less iron. And I that I noticed a big difference if I don't stay on top of my iron. So I had like breathing issues during the race, and so those two things just made it really really difficult that day. So and then after that, I had a really long injury and just injuries. And then I had another baby and just kind of not a lot of consistent training. Um, but yeah, so it was fall 2013 is when initially that idea was planted in my head.
1: So how many marathons have you run since then?
0: So I ran five maybe in between that time, four or five. And were all of those
1: like with the goal of a sub three or some of them you were just coming back from an injury or postpartum. And so you knew it wasn't likely.
0: So the first one, I was nine months postpartum and I knew sub three was not, I mean, I was just, my training didn't, wasn't indicative of a sub three at that point time. So that one, I guess that would be, that wasn't one, but then pretty much all the other ones I had, it was definitely a very strong possibility uh, New York was training. I just had a really short build up to New York and I like on a really great day, maybe, but at the same time, we knew it wasn't quite there.
1: So, okay. So let's going into CIM, like what were you thinking? Did you, were you pretty confident about it?
0: I was. I mean, training had been really good and I had just run a 301 three months prior. So I knew I was like right there. But at the same time, it's like, You know that three-hour span. There's a lot that could go wrong or not go as planned. So it's you know it's one thing to do a 5K in 20 minutes, but that three hours of time, there's just so much that has to go right in order for everything to work out. So yeah, I was like, I was confident, and I was doing you know everything that I could to set myself up for success: carb loading and resting, and keeping stress low, and you know keeping positive thoughts and all those little things but still in the back of my head it's like you know you've, I've had things I've had like my knee kind of tweak a little bit during marathon when it, in practice it hadn't bothered me at all or you know yeah things like that or like felt like it always hit the wall at mile 22 in races and so just never know sometimes.
1: Yeah. Anything can happen. Like a perfect training cycle definitely does not equal a perfect marathon and vice versa. And so that was a pretty quick turnaround between your two marathons. Three months is not a whole lot of time.
0: Yeah. And uh, for a while there, when I was recovering from the first marathon, I was like, oh gosh, I made a mistake. Like this is taking, it took me a good four or five weeks to recover to feel better And I was like, Oh man, this is, this is not going to work out. I'm never going (laughs) to recover, but just kind of kept sticking with it and kept doing the thing, you know, doing the right things, good nutrition, good sleep. And slowly things got better, much better. And then started feeling better and training was going well. And there was definitely things I did in my training a little bit, things I did a little bit differently in between the two marathons that may have also contributed to that sub three in at CIM. Do you want to share? Sure. So I did do more mileage. I did work up to 100 miles one week, whereas previous low 80s, I think I was at for the previous marathon. So I did 100 mile a week. I did more, one or two more 20 and 20 plus mile long runs. My longest was a 24 miler. I started working with a strength coach and she had me working. She just, it was very different than what I was used to. You know, usually I'm doing like two to three sets of 10 reps for a bicep curl. And it's, you know, I'm definitely going, lifting to failure, but she had me doing a lot of eccentric work and a lot of holds, like isometric holds and, working like one set to failure. So it was really, really hard. We worked on like quad strength because I we knew down uh, CIM had a fair amount of downhill. Uh, we tried to work oh, on my smart. Glute. Yeah. We tried to work on my glute strength to help with my hip drop. Then let's see so that was one big difference as well. I did a true carb load going into CIM whereas well, one other race in particular, I tried to do a carb load or I thought I was doing carb load, but this time I was much more mapped out and tracked everything and counted the grams of carbohydrates I was eating. And then I did wear, that was, CM was the first time I wore a carbon plated shoe.
1: Oh, did you wear Nike?
0: No, I wore the Saucony Endorphin Pro Plus. They had, a, I don't, I think it's all sold out now.
1: Really? Mm -hmm. So you noticed a difference with that?
0: I think so. (laughs) (laughs) I think so. I will say the extra cushioning is nice because in August I wore more of a cushioned shoe as well. But then prior to that, all my other 10 marathons prior to that, I wore just your traditional racing flat. Like the Oh, really? Yeah, like the New Balance, because it was like the last time I ran a, a marathon was in 2018, mm-hmm. and I think it was like right at that time, maybe more so like 2019, that they really started to take off, so they were still relatively new in 2018. Like Some people were wearing 4%, but yeah, I wore like the New Balance 1400 or the Brooks Hyperion and then the adios, Adidas adios, mm-hmm. very thin. <laughs> like nobody wears those anymore. Yeah, it's just so crazy.
1: No, no, I know. I love my carbon fiber shoes. Like I don't know. I I don't know how. I mean, I'm sure they help, but you just you. I think you can feel the energy return now. Once you hit the wall, it's yeah. I mean, everything's dead <laughs> and flat, but. <laughs> You know, leading up to it, I definitely think it gives you like a spring in your step that helps at least like some sort of statistically significant amount, you know, and every little bit counts, especially when you're chasing a goal like a sub three. So, did you look at your watch when you were running CIM?
0: I did. Yeah, I definitely did. Cause at the beginning, I was like, I don't want to go too fast. i tried to do it, I've tried to bank time, and it never works. You know, I know. No. So, <laughs> And so I was like constantly looking at my watch just to stay right at my goal pace.
1: So you ran like a pretty consistent, you you didn't try the negative split or anything like that. You
0: just tried to stay on pace? Yeah. I mean, I did end up negative splitting a little bit. Gosh, I don't remember how much now. Well, I went through the half in 130, or was it 131, or like one thirty? 40. I think it to be 130,
1: 40. Oh, so you definitely did. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because I, <laughs> I still remember mile 25 of the marathon was a 610. And I still have no idea how I did that. Nice. So you did not hit the wall. I did not hit the wall. Oh, that's amazing. No. I took five goose. I f- f- took five energy gels and I've never taken that much before. And I was hundred percent that in the carb load. I think is what did that for me.
1: What gel do you like?
0: So I don't like to take the same thing like five times over and over. So I have, I had literally five different, five different ones. Oh, really? Yeah.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, I know they do say that it's better to mix it up because then you have like different energy sources because, you know, some use like maltodextrin, some use fructose. And so that helps too. And I think it's easier. It can be easier on your stomach to do it that way.
0: Yeah, I guess I've never thought about it like that, but yeah, I just don't, I palette wise, I just I like to have the variety. So I did a Morton Gel, I did a goo roctane. I might have done Huma, You Can, and then I, may, I think I maybe did two goo roctanes.
1: Okay, that's got caffeine in it.
0: Some do, some don't. Okay, all right. And then I did I did a like I'd say maybe two or three of my Gels had caffeine. I don't do. I don't drink caffeinated coffee. Don't have a lot of caffeine on a regular basis, so I can't. And I don't want to do all caffe, caffeinated ones.
1: You're an enigma to me. <laughs> <laughs> I just, you, know, you I don't drink it. coffee. You don't drink caffeinated coffee, especially. I mean, even in the winter time when it's dark, twenty hours out of
0: Oh, no, I just, I don't like how the caffeine makes me feel like it feels like a fake energy. Like if I'm tired, I just, I'll sleep more. So yeah, it just, it feels like I just, I I get jittery or it just feels like a fake energy. Like it doesn't like truly wake me up.
1: Yes, that's true. Like you still feel it in your head. I don't know. Like I'm like, I'm still, my head just feels really tired (laughs) Um, and I just have the brain fog and all that. Okay. So you You don't typically drink coffee, I talked about this before we hit record that you mystify me and that okay, you train in the dark in the cold, on the treadmill, and you don't listen to music <laughs> so how are you, like I just wanna tap into like I know you said you're intrinsically motivated. you have these goals that you're really hungry to achieve, but you know you're a mother runner of two kids running a hundred miles a week or like higher mileage, like what keeps you motivated, especially, I mean, yeah. Like what keeps you hungry? What keeps you like, those are obstacles that a lot of people are not able to overcome. Tell us how you work and then what tips you have for other people who are like, I just, I don't know how, how she gets out in feet of snow and it's frigid and it's dark the whole time.
0: I feel like there's two runners, two types of runners out there, the competitive ones and then the ones who run for their sanity. And of course they overlap, mm-hmm. but I do feel like I'm more that competitive runner. Like I don't need a hundred miles a week for my sanity. I could do like three miles every other day and be totally fine with that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> very, very fair point.
0: <laughs> so it's definitely that competitive nature and trying to push myself and see how fast I can get. So that's a big driving force for me. And then my goal is like for that sub 3 that I mean I worked 8 years for it which for a lot of people it seemed like you know hard to could you stay focused that long. But it, there was a lot of ebbs and flows, like I said I had two pregnancies in there and several injuries like I feel like I was like always like every few months I was dealing with a, a niggle or an injury that I had to be sidelined for. So a lot of times then that those periods of time I'm like I just want to get back to running. Like I just want to be able to train without an injury. This is me right now, 100%. Yeah. <laughs>
1: that's yeah. how I feel. I've just been in that cycle too.
0: Yeah. So now that basically the last two years I've been injury free, I just, I don't want to go back to being injured. And so I'm just loving the process. And that's, I mean, so many of us have talked about that. You got to love the process. And so it's just me being, going outside every morning. I love the quietness of the morning. I love being outside know, I don't love being outside when it's cold, <laughs> <necessarily>. <laughs> but it sure feels good. It sure feels good once you get back and accomplish. And it gives me like purpose outside of motherhood. I think that was one thing I've realized during my periods of injuries is that, you know, I have motherhood, I have my work, but I would, I would say early on in motherhood, I wasn't working as much. I wasn't coaching as much as I am now. So outside of motherhood, I didn't really have too much except for my running. And so when I, my running gave me purpose, you know, it gave me goals to accomplish and things to achieve. Even just, even if it was just that daily goal of going out for a run. It, I mean, it for sure is hard to stay motivated. I mean, like even this morning when I walk out my front door, I'm like, I'm cold. Like, I, I mean, I think about, I think about that college girl who could barely complete a 400 meters on the track because I was so anemic and, someone just shared on, on Instagram. I think it was Adrian who ran with Shalane mm-hmm. who, the, yeah, she had said your biggest cheerleader is your pre your past self. And I thought that was so, that was so cool. Like nobody's sharing for you more than your, your past self. That's really cool. When I think back to myself as a college athlete, like I was very below average. And so now to the progress that I've been able to make over, those fifteen years, it's really cool, and it, and it that, even that motivates me to just keep going and see how much faster I can get.
1: Yeah. So, do you have a new goal now? I'm a, obviously you do.
0: Yeah. You know. I mean, of course, I'm like okay, sub two fifty five for my half marathon, trying to whittle that weight that down. Because if anything, my half marathon is is a little bit better than my marathon equivalent time. And just the marathon comes a little, or the half marathon comes a little more naturally to me. I, I tend to like it a little bit more better. I will say though, getting sub three, it it feels like, I mean, that was just like, that was such a big goal for me. And so to have that completed now, I don't know that anything can top it. And so the motivation. Really? Yeah. It's just because I worked for so long towards it. And it's just like that big, It's like a big number. It's like, you know, first you have maybe like somebody has a sub four hour marathon and then they go for their BQ and then they try to go sub three and then it, you know, the OTQ, but now it's so fast that it's like, yeah, so outside, like a lot of people, it's outside of their ability. So some of those big markers, it's like, I mean, my motivation is still there, but it's, it does feel a little, little bit different. Like. It just—it doesn't feel quite the same going for sub two fifty five. Like it just—I don't know—it doesn't have that big round number. I guess.
1: (laughs) I mean, I think it does in the running community. You know, I think like people know that that's a huge, a huge marker, a huge accomplishment. But yeah, I I, I get what you're saying. It it seems more of like an incremental sound barrier than like the big, the big wall that you busted through—the three hour wall. You cross over the finish line. I want to know what that felt like for you and what you did to celebrate.
0: So running down, you know, you have the, there's like a straightaway that you can see the clock of course. And the clock was the gun time and not my chip time, of course, but it was still under well under three hours. So I knew that it was going to run a sub three. So it was just like sprinting down towards that finish line. And then there was a group, Mary's Lift Run Perform. She had a group going for the sub three at CIM, and a, several of them had already crossed the finish line. I had met them, some of them, the day before and connected with some of them through Instagram. So I knew or knew of some of them. And so I just like saw them. I ran into their arms. They were like cheering so loud for me, just ran into their arms, gave them a big hug. And that was like, of anything, like that was the cherry on the top that day, like being able to celebrate. Even though I wouldn't train with them, I just felt like they just like, knew just knew the process as well, You know, knew what it took to get here. It was just like the same, I think about the women at the 2019 CIM going for the OTQ and all the you see those videos of the, the women all cheering each other in, even though they didn't know each other, but they just were all so excited for everyone. Who it makes
1: was, me very emotional. Yeah. <laughs> it gives me all, all the feels seeing that.
0: Yeah. So I just ran into their arms, gave him a big hug, like broke into tears. Like I never cry. So <laughs> it, was just, like, it was just so, so special. And then found my family, gave my husband a big hug and just celebrated that that way. Took some pictures, of course. And my kids realized not had no idea what was going on. <laughs> well, they
1: were just like, mom. It's so funny. It's It seems like kids always kind of have the same response where they're like,
0: but mom, you didn't win. <laughs> oh. oh, yeah. And at that race, I was... I There was so many. I don't even remember what my place. There were so many fast people.
1: Yeah. So your kids, even though you do most of the running, probably while they're still asleep, they still know that mommy runs.
0: Yeah. Because I'll you know, say, and if anything, that kind of helped when they were younger, like the separation anxiety, because I would be like, okay, I'm going for my run. And at first postpartum, you know, you're gone for 30, 30 minutes or so. And then like, as you get more further postpartum, then the, the time that you're gone gets longer. So they kind of just know that you're going to be gone, but you're always coming back. So I always felt like that kind of helped with the separation anxiety a little bit. But yeah, I mean, they'll see me running on the treadmill and going for my runs. And I pushed, you know, I pushed both of them in in the stroller here and there. I don't do it too often, once or twice a week, just to, I don't want to have to push the stroller that often.
1: And Well, I mean, and the fact that it is snowy where you are, it's not even yeah. just that like stroller running is difficult, but then add in the elements of snow that yeah. it's like near impossible, yeah. I would imagine.
0: Yeah, I yeah I can do it. It depends upon the snow conditions. If it's snow is like super packed down or even if it's ice, I can push them on the stroller and because I have my ice bugs and I that's, that's enough traction. Like I don't feel like I'm going to lose control (laughs) of this. (laughs) (laughs) That's Um, good. Yeah. But yeah, now during the summer, spring and summer, you know, once a week I'll push them in the stroller. So that's nice to have that option.
1: And I love that you're in the like faster as a mom club. Yeah. Like how, like how cool is that? I mean, I just feel like that's such a powerful message to fellow moms that If you've had a baby, like obviously your body goes through so much, you can come back from that. But even then, like you can make the time to train, to better yourself. Like it is more than okay. It's amazing to have those goals and chase them and have your kids watch you do that because that impacts them too. Um, Like, I just want to know kind of what that feels like for you to believe in yourself and have other people believe in you that you can do this and- how that impacts you, you as a mom?
0: Yeah. Well, first of all, I never thought I'd be faster after having kids. I mean, I I had the hope, but I didn't know if it was possible because even eight, nine years ago, I don't know. I maybe I just wasn't plugged in. I mean, there wasn't social media presence quite as much as there is now, and so if there was people doing it, I just wasn't aware of them doing it. You know, people weren't sharing it like they are now. So I just was like maybe this is possible, but I don't know. And so I had my blog and so I would blog about that kind of kept me accountable. on the fact that, you know, I just talked about my running journey and then continued to talk about running during pregnancy, running postpartum. And yeah. And the other thing is I've you know, always run in the morning. So just kind of a good routine to I mean, usually mother runners are running in the morning get, before their kids are up or as they're waking up. So I've always had that as my routine. And my husband's always known that that's when I run. So if the schedule <laughs> has always kind of stayed the same. Definitely tricky when they're young and they're either waking up very They early. want mommy. Yeah, yeah. And they want a nurse or whatever. Yeah, exactly. So I'm glad that For social media, for that aspect, that we can share stories like this, and I mean, sure, it's like a sacrifice to be away from your 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 kids and your family, but at the same time, like there's so many more positive things that come from it. So, and I like they're fine. I mean, if I leave a first, (laughs) I mean, I also spend all day with them, so that also probably exactly,
1: yeah. I'm like. Whenever that sort of mom guilt used to crop up, I was like, wait, but we, we have a ton of togetherness. Like we are together all the time. An hour here and there is, is just going to make everything better. <laughs> if you can just get away, fill that cup back up.
0: Yeah. 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 So it's been like, it's been a, it can be tricky balancing it because if I have a double, like if I run twice in one day, okay, when do I do the double? Do I? I mean, a lot of times I'll push, push the my youngest in the stroller, and then, you know, my oldest and my husband just hang out at home, Um, and so it feels doesn't feel as um, intrusive to family time because I'm getting my with one
1: of them, yeah.
0: Or sometimes it's running on the treadmill after I put them to bed, like that that type of thing. Like, there's been. Unfortunately, my, my husband works like a typical eight to five and he doesn't work like crazy long hours or anything. So, even just that stability is nice having that consistent schedule. Um, he doesn't travel for work or anything like that. There's been a couple of times where he's, he's gone on a hunting trip and he's been gone for 10 days. So, I've had a solo parent. One time he had shingles and he was like, he couldn't do anything. He was just like bedridden. It was bad. It was so bad. That was tricky. That was tricky. I was basically, bringing the kids to bed and then going for my runs or getting up really, really early and running before they get up. Cause right now, sometimes usually my husband gets the kids up and while I'm out running, he gets them up and gets them off to school. So I have, I'm not starting, I start six 37 o'clock. So it's not crazy early.
1: Mm-hmm. That's nice. Yeah. That whole teamwork. And communication and like taking turns with when you know you have the morning time, he has the after work time or whatever. Like is so key. So I, I want to know if you get tired. Like I ran about a hundred miles a week when my last marathon build, and in retrospect, like I was very exhausted. And there were times where I felt really bad because, and it was over the summer. So I was with my kids all the time. And, you know, I was like, can you please just watch this iPad for 30 minutes so that I can lay down and then feeling like a horrible mom because I felt like I had to do this. But I, you know, killed myself on the track that morning and then was going to do a double later that afternoon. And it's like a hundred degrees. Like, do you encounter that? Or are you, no caffeine, you're just, you're just running 10 miles here and there and you're you're good.
0: For the most part, I don't get too tired. I don't know, I could probably thank my mom for that. She's like always going, always doing something. I think recovery plays a huge part in that, like I said, getting good sleep. I will during the during the school year when my oldest is at school and my 2-year-old is napping, so I'll try to take a nap. It, that's like my one opportunity to take a nap like during the summer it's trickier when both of them are home and then i think just recovering like getting enough food i sometimes i think that can be a huge part too like that is tricky
1: yeah i felt like i was hungry all the time
0: yeah so just getting enough food to stay energized and have enough energy to go about your day and i haven't been having as much protein the last few weeks, and I think I've no- noticed a difference that way. So just seeing on the pro- top of the protein and the, all the carbs and just the calories needed to run that. Fortunately, I don't. I feel bad saying that. Like I'm not generally too tired if I. No, that's great. Like, if I, you know, yeah, like I said, I mean, I aim to sleep at least seven, ideally eight, if not nine hours a night. So trying to sleep enough and usually as long as i'm busy doing something i'm i'm okay and i don't get too tired
1: yeah i think like there were a lot of things with my training tweaks that i will make for the next time but also i was in that stage my son was still very young and not a great sleeper so sleep was very broken up at that time so i think that played a huge role too at the time i didn't think too much i i didn't really know too much about the importance of sleep and recovery and that the more you run, the more sleep you need, you know, like that is, that is so important to know. Well, that's, so next time you do your build, will you run high mileage again? You think?
0: I usually, yeah, I usually I'm around at least 60, 70, kind of that my base has been 60, 70 now. And then I usually get up to 80, maybe close to 90. Yeah. If time allows and, or like if, yeah. If there's enough time before the marathon and I'm feeling good. And I mean, I typically more or less as a rule of thumb, I say, you know, run as much as you can with if your body allows it and you have the time type of thing.
1: Yeah. That, those are like, that's such a great way of putting it. If your body allows it. And if, if you have time, like, and being, being vigilant and aware of those two factors and not trying to in- ignore your body or squeeze in miles here and there when it's just going to make you that much more stressed. Because stress also hurts recovery too. I mean, it all feeds into one another.
0: Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. I typically do okay on the higher mileage. Yeah, my body allows it. And I mean, staying on top of the sleep and the good nutrition play a huge role. So there's something kind of exhilarating about doing two days and going for a second run. And often I feel better on that second run than I did in the morning.
1: That's great. And that's awesome that you know that about yourself. Well, I am excited to see what you do next. I kind of would like to do CIM. So if things work out, maybe you and I can meet in real life.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a good course, right? It's a great course. I mean, some people will say it's like hilly. I mean, there are rolling hills, but to me, it felt pretty flat. I think it really depends upon what terrain you're training on. So there are a lot there's, I definitely, most of my routes have some rolling hills in them. So CIM didn't seem that bad.
1: Yeah. Sometimes rolling hills are nice because they give like your muscles a break.
0: Yeah. Like yeah. different muscle groups. Yeah. And then just the people running it. Cause it, it is a more competitive race. I mean, you don't typically have a lot of the run walkers at CIM, so it's more competitive, and there's so I mean I mean the big marathons you obviously have people to run with too, but um, just a lot of a lot of excitement from the people running and people are cheering. The weather the weather is like I think it's almost always perfect. It was fifty degrees, overcast, fifty degrees and overcast last oh, year. Perfect. I mean. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So that, I mean, that's the way that's it's like, I, there's other marathons I want to run, but I'm like, the weather's so hit and miss. So.
1: Yeah. You don't want to relive another 75 degree marathon. No, no. <laughs> well, I'll keep you posted. I'll let you know. But um, I loved chatting with you and learning more about you. And I just love how balanced you are. Like you just seem just very flexible and balanced, but yet like, super committed. And I think that's the perfect way to be.
0: Well, my husband may say like, I'm too rigid. And like, (laughs) (laughs) he says, I like to create work. I'm always doing like, there's always another thing to be done. So
1: (laughs) is it? But it's true. Gosh, darn it. (laughs) Maybe all the like the husbands of the mother runners need to join a club because I think we have a lot of similar characteristics. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so much for making the time. And I just I love following your journey. So thanks for sharing it with all of us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Bye. Thank you, Michelle. And thanks all for listening to The Passionate Runner. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any of the resources mentioned are available at runnerclick.com slash podcast. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash thepassionaterunner. We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes. Thanks for listening.